Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Due diligence is boring. I mean, it is probably, it's mind-numbing, but it's also, I would say, the most important thing that we do. Welcome, my friend, to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and before we get into the show in today's episode, which I know you'll get a lot of value from because we're, we stay out of all the fluffy stuff and we get straight into the good stuff of real estate investing advice, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, and that's Patch of Land. Uh, they are making this show possible, and they're making tons of flipping projects possible all across the country. If you don't know about Patch of Land, then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now. Um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower, um, you're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the, the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's, project's a success. Uh, they've got something really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the, the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They've got answers too. All the answers to those, those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, I check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. My name's Joe Fairless, and we are here with Andrew Sirius. How you doing, Andrew? Good. How about yourself? I am doing well, my friend. And Andrew is focused on building him and his family's portfolio, his family's company, Stewardship Properties. They have over 600 units and they manage their own portfolio. And uh, they're based in Kansas City, Missouri. Andrew actually moved from Eugene, Oregon, home of the Fighting Ducks, right? Not the Mighty Ducks, the Fighting Ducks. Mighty Ducks is a hockey team, yes, yeah. for the Fighting Ducks. <laughs> the ones with, with different uniforms every single week, yeah. Yeah, the very uh, the colorful and bright uniforms every week. 
and we went just shy of national championship glory. Yes, yes, yep. And I, I remember your basketball court very vividly as well. It's it's just as unique as the college football uniforms. It looks like you're in the middle of a meadow, and yes, yes. <laughs> Very Oregonian, we'll put it Very that way. Oregonian. But now he's in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, like I said, his company owns 600 units. And they manage their own portfolio. He personally has been investing and in real estate for about 10 years. So with that being said, Andrew, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Yeah, so I started in real estate because my dad started, was in real estate. He had started a company in Eugene, Oregon, primarily focused on buying campus housing around the University of Oregon. I'm actually probably part of his success is due to the Ducks' success. Uh, raises U of O's uh, stature nationally. More students come, and that makes student housing more more enticing. I guess it makes it more uh, um, valuable. But I got in actually when I was a student there and started investing. And I uh, started working with an internship that my dad was running and then eventually came on and we started flipping a bunch of houses. I think we flipped about 150 houses over the course of uh, about five years. Eventually got kind of tired of that. The market shifted and we wanted to get back into buy and hold. So I came out to, we actually went out with Can- to Kansas City with a, a friend of ours, saw the price differences. It's the Eugene is like, it's not, it's not like San Francisco, but it's, it's West Coast. So it's extremely expensive compared to the rents. And the Midwest is much more reasonable. The rent to cost ratios are much better. So we're like, let's just let's just move back out here. My extended family all lives out in the Midwest. My parents are from the Midwest originally. So started a branch here in, in Kansas City. And my brother came out and joined me about nine months later. And we've just been buying ever since, buying, fixing, and renting, uh, focusing primarily on single family and small multifamily. You mentioned the rent to cost ratio is better in the Midwest. What specifically is the rent to cost ratio that you look for in properties? Well, it depends on the area. So like uh, if we're in a really high quality area, it doesn't need to be much more than one, maybe a 1.2, 1.3% rent to cost ratio. If it's in a lower end area, a rougher spot, then probably we need to be over 2%. Uh, rent, rent to cost ratios can get people into trouble if you take them as, as gospel because you know, a roof costs the same on a house that's in the middle of a war zone as it does in a house that's in a, in a really you know, thriving neighborhood. So the big key is rent to cost ratios are important when comparing like to like, but you, like, there's this thing called the 2% rule, which I'm not a big fan of because it kind of pushes people towards lower end investments where a property that's, you know, $30,000 and has a 2% rent to cost ratio is not going to cash flow as well as a property that's $80,000 and has a 1.5% cost rent to cost ratio. So rent to cost just real quickly is how much is the property rent for divided by how much are you all into it? So if you're all into a house for 50,000 and it rents for 750, 750 divided by 50,000 is a 1.5% rent to cost ratio. Uh, generally speaking, like a rough rule of thumb, we're looking for a 1.5%, but it depends on the area. Got it. Okay. And what are you seeing in Eugene, generally speaking? Or what were you seeing where you, you know, kind of flew south for to, to, to Kansas City? In Eugene, we were flipping, so we were mostly just looking at the value of the properties. We were looking at, uh, when I was involved, I wasn't really involved much with the campus acquisitions, but we were looking at the value of the properties and trying to find properties that we could have 70 to 75% all in so we could flip them. 
But generally in Eugene, you're lucky if you can get 1% anywhere. In some of the lower end areas, you can get like in Springfield, which is near, which is basically the Eugene's sister city. You can get that, from, but uh, it's, it's tricky. The 2% in Eugene is unheard of. So the rent to cost ratio is, is probably 50 to 75% better, generally speaking, out here in Kansas City. So you, when did you all move to Kansas City permanently? I moved in January of 2011. So I've been here just shy of five years. And my brother moved out, I think, in September of 2011. And what was kind of the first thing that you did whenever you hit the ground on January 2011? The first thing I did was try to meet as many people as I could and learn the market as best I could. I actually think I'm not a huge fan of investing out of state. I've seen people make it work, but it, I've also seen people lose their shirt. And I think part of it is if you don't understand a market, you can really make some big mistakes. Actually, the first investment we made here was a big mistake. It was an area that looked a lot nicer than it actually was. And the apartment looked a lot nicer than it actually was. And that one ended up you know, sucking us dry for a while. But the biggest key for me was, was learning as much as I could about the market, meeting as many people, getting you know, contacts for, for contractors, for plumbers, for you know, real estate agents, attorneys, mortgage brokers, bankers, things like that. Really try to establish ourselves here and get a presence and have a list of people that we can use for all the various things that we need to be doing. Did you do anything in particular when you were meeting people, such as attending RIAs or or anything like that? Yes, yes. Uh, I think it's anyone who's getting into real estate should definitely attend their local RIA. That's a great place for like the best way to get quality people, in my judgment, both employees vendors, bankers, whatever, is through referrals. I mean, if somebody's done right by somebody else, in all likelihood, they'll do right for you. If somebody's done wrong by somebody else, in all likelihood, they'll do wrong by you. Of course, it's not 100%, but it's a pretty good rule of thumb. And so the best way to find any people you're looking for is to look for referrals, ask for referrals. I, I almost made it just a mantra. Go to RIAs, go to other networking events, go to whenever you're, if you've got a solid contractor, you know, ask them if they know a good plumber, a good concrete guy. If you've got a solid real estate agent, maybe they know a good banker, all sorts of things like that. So um, yes, any sort of networking event is absolutely critical to attend in my judgment. In January, 2011, you moved down to Kansas City. How many units did you all have at that point? In Kansas City or overall? Overall. Well, we have about 300 in Oregon and we had bought, we bought our first property, the mistake, before we came. So we had 29 units in Kansas City. We've also, my, my dad also has a partner in Dallas who owns about 80 units. We hadn't gotten those yet. So we were about, we were about at 300, a little over 300, maybe 325, 350. So you've gotten about 300 250, 250 to 300 since 2011 in Kansas City? Well, we got the 80 in Dallas plus about 230 in Kansas City since then. Okay. So what are you, and they're primarily single family and, and small multifamily, you said? Yeah, primarily. I mean, we have the original 29 unit we bought. We also have a 32 unit that we actually recently closed on, but we have about 130 houses and a handful of duplexes, fourplexes, and smaller apartments like that kind of scattered throughout Kansas City. Let's do a comparison of the 29 unit that sounds like it was a headache, to say the least, and then the 32 unit that you just closed on. Um, Is that in Kansas City as well? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's actually very convenient. Both properties are in Kansas City, but one is in the far north and one is in the far south, and our office, office is right in between the two. So it's kind of they are polar opposites of each other. Yeah, so <laughs> let's let's do a comparison of those two. Um, yeah. First, let's let's talk about the the areas uh, for for A and B. So twenty nine and thirty two. Um, what 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 are the what are the characteristics of the different areas? Okay, well, the first one is is very close. We'll call it A or the bad one. We'll we'll call that one B for bad. The bad one was is in it's in an urban area near downtown, but it's it's an old area. It's a poor area. It's basically uh, it's basically a depressed neighborhood. Uh, It looks nice. It's deceiving because there are a lot of very nice old buildings, like uh, some of you know, those brick and stone buildings they don't really make anymore. You open it up and they got like a marble entry and stuff like that. So it's deceiving in that manner. But if you look carefully and, and you look, if we like, if you just look at the income statistics, I mean, the, the income for that neighborhood is around like per capita, thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 annually, which is very low. Whereas the nicer property, the nicer property is a little bit – the one thing I don't like about it is a little bit rural. It's not rural. It's just the south part of Kansas City. Once you go past it, it you're kind of in just nature for uh, about a mile <laughs> before you get back into the city. <laughs> now, if you go north of it, there's stuff and there's 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 houses and things like that. But it basically, it's not very close to a bus line and you're not going to get a ton of drive-by traffic. The one thing I don't like about the property. But it's it, the neighborhood is very affluent. Per capita income is I think close to forty thousand dollars per year. I mean it's not a wealthy neighborhood, but it's definitely middle class. And it's a newer building. It was built I think in the '60s, whereas the older one was built not not so not a new building. It's still fairly old, but it's not the older other one was about built in the '20s. And it's uh, it was in better shape. And when we purchased it, it was performing. It, it had I think twenty eight, twenty nine, and thirty two units were leased, and one person was being evicted. And so it was pretty much, there's a lot of updating to do. There's a lot of TLC. The big thing was the parking lot needed to be repaved. But most of the upgrades were just things that are going to make the property more desirable. The other property was 22 out of 29 at least, but like six or seven evictions. Not evictions, but people not paying. And we knew it was going to be a big turnover, but it when any time, especially when you're doing a repositioning, you just got to know it's going to cost more than you think. And the problem there, well, there are a lot of problems there. We can get into those further, but um, that was one thing. I mean, it was, it's just, it was harder to rent. You have to turn down more tenants. We've continuously increased our screening. We didn't have a very good property man. We, we had a property manager on that property at first. We've taken it over ourselves, but they didn't do a good job at all. But I, I think to me, the big difference on those two, other than just one, we were here, the other one, we, when we purchased it, the other one, we weren't is we did much better due diligence on the second one. We we walked every single unit versus the previous one. We got an inspection and we walked a few, but had we walked every single unit, it would have been clear to us that this is a bigger project, that the tenant base that they have is not very high quality. They're not going to very likely to pay rent, that we're going to have to do a major, not just property reposition, but generally what comes along with a property reposition is also you're basically repositioning your tent base. And that is a long and expensive process, especially if you don't have a good property manager in there. And so it it was, it was just like, basically we were just spinning our wheels and spending our money at the same time (laughs) for a while. And then finally, once we, then we got rid of our property manager, we took it over, finally thought we got it up to performing and then seven tenants just decided, well, I guess, we have a partner in that deal and and he refers to that area as a a rent optional area. (laughs) 
so these tenants, I guess, exercised their option not to pay. And so then the <laughs> property just went right back down the tube. Tried to sell it, and it, nobody really wants to buy a property in that area, except us, I guess, but <laughs> that, uh, that's, that's not performing very well. But finally, actually, my brother oversees property management. He uh, was able to slowly but surely turn it around. Um, and uh, we got in, we started working with a, a, a nonprofit in the area that, that does not Section 8 vouchers, but a similar kind of a thing, uh, mostly for individuals. And that, and that helped turn the building around. And he's just really cranked up both marketing and uh, and screening. So we're we're very diligent about not getting the wrong people in. And finally, he's getting the build, got the building to perform and actually make money for us. It just took three years to get there. <laughs> the other building, on the other hand, has been even despite the fact that there are a lot of things we want to upgrade about it. I mean, that's it's all basically gravy because it's been performing even while we're doing the upgrades. So it's making money even while we're we're improving the property. Wow. Do you still have the 29 units? We do. We've, we've mulled over the idea of selling it, but it's, it, it's the one thing. When you want to sell it is usually when it's not performing and, and you're not going to get anything but the kind of the low offers. When, you, when it is performing, it feels, you know, why, why sell it? Because it is doing pretty well right now. Actually, I mean, in the end, we were able – we probably made a profit on that building. I'd have to – I think – yeah, I think we have made a profit on the building. Not the kind of profit – not the way I'd like to make a profit. Much more – many more headaches than, than the, the amount of money we made is worth on it. But it's, uh, it's working now, and it's and once a building is performing, it's so much easier to deal with. It, it's properties that suck the life out of you are the ones that have a lot of vacancy, a lot of turnover, a lot of work to be done, tenant complaints. Once they're up and performing 90-plus percent occupancy, they don't cause that many problems. For anybody familiar or want, who wants to become familiar with Kansas City, what are the two areas that these properties are in? One is up in the north part of Kansas City, kind of it's called the urban core, kind of east of downtown. Okay. The other one, that's the, the, the one that was a problem for us, although it's, it's working now. The other one is down south near Martin City, which is not really a, a city, but it's, it, it used to be, and then it was annexed by the city. But it's really in the south part. So, yeah, just go down south on, in, on Holmes Road, and you'll get there eventually. And neither are actually areas that we generally invest. Usually the area near Martin City, the houses there are too expensive. Our favorite areas are the South Kansas City area, but not that far south, kind of Waldo area or Grandview or Raytown. And how much did you buy the 29 units for, and what do you think it's worth now? We bought it for 450 Right now, we actually just got it appraised. We're looking to refinance it, and it's uh, it appraised at $680,000, but we put in, I think, a little over $150,000 uh, throughout, throughout our, our time of having it. Mm-hmm. Throughout the fun time. Yes. <laughs> Very fun, enjoyable, life-sucking time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you mentioned something interesting where you were talking about the due diligence of both the 29 and the 32-unit buildings. And you said that with the 32 units, you walked every single unit, whereas the 29, you got an inspection and walked a few what did the inspector did you I assume you paid somebody to do the inspection on twenty nine and to only walk a few units and then to kind of well, we we personally only walked a few units, yeah, and I mean this a lot of stuff came up on it, but there are things like uh just general quality is something that that inspector like they're gonna show like okay this this doesn't work or you know, like this outlet isn't grounded or, or this panel is outdated or, 
or this window is insufficient or things like that. But like general quality or like the paint, they might say like it could use to be repainted, but just general, I think, I think there's something it's one of the things about the due diligence is not just the quality of the unit. It's sort of the atmosphere of the building, the, the, the tenants demeanor, whether do the people there care about it? Do they, do they like living there? Do do, are the, is this a problem tenant or, or and things like that? I, I think basically one, I, I do think it's critical to walk every unit, even if it's a 200 unit complex. But it's not just evaluating potential repairs. It's it's evaluating really the whole picture. Yep. When you are walking those units, you mentioned you look for the atmosphere of the building outside of the kind of the the things that are in your face as far as the light sockets and, um, you know, paint and other things that the inspectors probably take note of, but kind of those soft things of the, the atmosphere of the building. And mm-hmm. what else do you look for whenever you're, you're walking? I mean, do you ask questions to the residents who are in the units if they're in it while you're doing inspections? And if so, what type of questions do you ask them? Yeah. I mean, the first big thing is, is there a bunch of trash lying around the place? There's a bunch of trash all over the place. It probably means that the residents don't really care that much about it. But um, as far as asking the questions, absolutely. Um, Usually the seller won't want you to tell them that they're selling the building, but you can still ask questions like, you know, do you like living here? What are the biggest problems? You know, does the plumbing work well? All sorts of various questions like that. Um, And some tenants will just straight tell you, like we had one property that we were looking to buy and... We ended up backing out of the contract because of a lot of, of issues that we found during due diligence. But they they just you know, went off on the property, and that's not necessarily that doesn't necessarily you know you not one person's opinion doesn't mean everything. It might just be they had a bad experience. But if you can start to build a picture of what what's going on there, and I mean another thing to look if it's a bigger apartment, look at uh, look at Google reviews, see if there are consistent issues that are coming up, see if there's tons of negative complaints. And remember, a lot of tenants, you're going to get the, there's going to be somebody upset at management no matter what. But if you start to see consistently that that this is not a place that the tenants think is a good place to live, then you probably have got a fairly, fairly large uh, reposition on your hands. And, you know, the other things you want to look at, you want to be very, very, look very carefully at the rent roll. You want to look very carefully at the operating statement and you want to, and not just take it as for granted. You want to see like, are they like, there's two kinds of expenses, right? There's operating expenses and there's capital expenses. Sometimes owners will capitalize things that really probably shouldn't be capitalized. Maybe like replacing the carpet and a turnover unit. I've seen that capitalized. So that doesn't go on the operating statement, but you want to know that because if they have a lot of expenses not going on the operating statement, you want to, you want to see that. So you want to ask for their total expenditures too get an idea of what their contracts are. You want to verify the utilities, verify the taxes. You want to price out the insurance. So you're looking at the quality of the units. You're looking at the the tenant base. You're looking at the financials. You're trying to verify all of that. And you're trying to figure out how much it's going to cost to repair this building and also whether or not you have a really performing building on your hands. And like uh, another way to see tenant qualities, if you have a lot of delinquency, then you probably don't have a great tenant base. So there's a lot of different things you want to look at. And that all those things start to paint a picture of whether or not it's a good property. Maybe it is a good property, but not quite as good. And it's and there's some issues and some repairs you didn't know about. And it's worth you know renegotiating the price, so you can get discounts doing this. I mean, doing quality due diligence, or get out of a deal that would have uh, driven you crazy. Two follow up questions. One, you mentioned the delinquency. How do you determine during the due diligence 
if the residents are paying late? The best thing to get, you want to get something along the lines of a rent roll. And also we like to ask for proof of deposits. So like some sort of like, whether it be a bank statement or a list of deposits, something like that. If you get that, you can usually tell, you know, when the deposits were made and whether a lot were being made lately. You should also ask the owner, of course, you know, of course, sellers can be a little, we'll say not straightforward about everything. So that's why we ask to get those things verified. But yeah, something like, like a proof, like, a, like on this Aspen Creek one that we just purchased and this property, the, the good one, we asked for just basically the last month's proof of deposit. So like the deposit slips for each of the property, for each of the units, and then looked at see when, uh, when those, when those rents were deposited and they were in line with what he said. There were a couple of people that were paying a little bit late kind of on consistent payment plans. But, uh, uh, and we took that into account. We have a few people that are on the edge and we're probably going to need to evict or, or they will leave a few of these. So, so we, we know that we have, one person we're probably going to have to evict, and then we're going to have a couple of units where it's, it's very probable in the next couple of months that we will need to. So that it's all just part of painting that picture. And the other question is, when you receive a rent roll, what are the things that you look for? Well, for one, the first thing you want to look for is you want to add up what all the rents are, because usually on like a performa that the seller provides you, they will put the, the rent number at whatever their highest rent is. So let's say they rent the units rent for, they say they're, they're one bedrooms rent for 500 a month or something like that. They'll usually just say that, but then you look at the rent roll, it's like 500, 475, 450, 450, 475, 495. So it's, it's inconsistent. You want to add that all up. That's the first thing. The second thing is you want to look for delinquency. You want to look, see how many unit people are behind and figure out what the plan is with them. Are they on a payment plan or have they been evicted or are they being evicted? Th- those are the key things to look for on a rent roll. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? The best real estate investing advice is probably some advice that we got from a book called Great by Choice by Jim Collins, which is, it's called 20 Mile Marching. And basically it's, it's sort of, I kind of call it the Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold. You want to be, pushing ahead constantly. But I, I see two things happen to a lot of real estate investors. One, maybe they get a bad deal and they hunker down. They basically lose their confidence and they and they try to, they, they basically slow down to the point where they're not really doing anything anymore. Or they get overconfident and they start pushing too hard, too fast, trying to buy too many properties. They skimp on due diligence. They settle, you know, they skimp on their margins. Uh, it's really about Long-lasting success is is taking it one step at a time, not trying to grow to be you know massive Fortune 500 company overnight. I mean, I've heard something like like Southwest Airlines is a great example of this. They, I think, every year hundreds of different airports are trying to get them to to go there, and they pick like four to six or something like that. They're very meticulous, just marching ahead one step at a time, and so basically, it's it's about keeping a solid, consistent pace. You can accelerate, but you accelerate slowly. So instead of going from, let's say you're buying one every three months, next year maybe you buy one every two months. But you don't try to get 10 a month or something like that. So it's it's about keeping a very solid, consistent pace. And eventually you realize you have all these houses, all these apartments, and you've you've, uh, gained the wealth that you set out for in the first place. Love it. Love it. I'm going to buy that book. It's a very good book. Anything by Jim Collins is a good book. It's called Great by Choice. Yes. And his other books, Good to Great and uh, Built to Last, are very good as well. Okie doke. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Uh, I think so. Uh, okay, ready. 
All right. <laughs> I'm glad you took a second to take a breath and prepare yourself because this is, this is going to be hot and heavy, so we got to go a little fast. Nervous. A little nervous. <laughs> All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners like me, I suspect you're also a student of the real estate game. Because I, I suspect that because you're listening to the podcast and um, you're looking for uh, real estate investing advice to help you move your business forward. And if you check out episode 188, if you haven't already, it's with uh, my friend Joe Stampone. And Joe has, he, he manages over $500 million of properties and he's done over 36 transactions. Joe knows his stuff. And he has a website called A Student of the Real Estate Game. And if you go there, uh, so go to a student of the real estate game.com forward slash best ever, and you'll receive all sorts of cool content that he's aggregated just for you um, and the best ever community. He, he has information from top resources on learning to model real estate deals to uh, 68 challenges of starting and growing a real estate firm. Um, he's got a, t- a blog titled "What We Learned Over Four Years of Running Our Own Real Estate Investment Firm." All sorts of good stuff, and it's it's a non-sales environment. He just wants to give good information and um, share it from all the things that he's learned. I promise you, you're going to get a lot out of it. I do. I'm I'm reading every one of these blog posts, and I'm learning something from each one of them. Go check it out, a student of the real estate game.com forward slash best ever. Well, I usually start out the lightning round by asking the best ever book, but I think you just told me that, right? Yeah, I, I got a lot of recommendations. I would add uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's another great book. Okay. Best ever personal growth experience, and what did you learn from it? Probably traveling in South America. I've done that twice, and I'd like to travel again. I did get a knife pulled on me in one place, but other than that, it was very, I think it just, it puts things in perspective. Actually, probably getting a knife pulled on me helped do that, (laughs) but just sort of how things aren't that, a lot of the problems that we face aren't really that important. It's sort of, I guess, uh, mind expanding or however you'd say that, but it just, uh, it makes, it puts things in context. What'd you do when someone pulled a knife on you? I ran. (laughs) Did you? Yeah, I probably not the best idea. There were a couple of us walking down the street, went to an area, uh, went down the street. In hindsight, well, obviously we probably should not have gone. And then I don't really remember the next part very well, but we all just ran, and then all all of us got away. So that's uh, that makes it good, I guess. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal we've done in terms of size is probably that apartment we just purchased. Uh, the best other one than that was just a house, actually just an REO. And they just wildly mislisted it, and we we were able to. It was um it was from HUD, and they wildly mislist things from time to time. We actually uh, they listed at thirty two thousand. The house is probably worth one hundred thirty, and we offered we actually we had the seventeenth offer, and we offered fifty six. 
and we got it. And so that was probably the best house that we've gotten. I actually had to live there for a while, which was good because I was living in the basement of my office at the time. So that was a, a major improvement for me. But it's it was HUD, Fannie, Freddie. Sometimes they very wildly mislist these properties. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? Well, we're working on a very large package, but since it's, we're still under contract right now, I can't. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the details out that for that. But actually, that that 32 unit one is 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 the biggest one to date, and we're still doing some of the updates. So that one is uh, still I'm focusing a lot of time on, and and has been uh, very exciting for the whole process. Are you changing your 20 mile marching approach to kind of a 15 minute sprint with this large <laughs> package? <laughs> well, it's uh, we've slowed down all the rest of our purchase other than this this 32 one but the large package is, is pretty much performing at right now which is the nice part but the big big reason we're able to do this is because we've built this infrastructure over the course of the last five years if we hadn't built that infrastructure there's no way we could handle this so because we because it, whereas we probably would have wanted to but if, if we were wise about it say the first year we would have turned it down simply because there's just no way we could absorb that but because We've built all these property management systems and we have our construction staff and, and we can focus on it since we've slowed down any other acquisition other than that. It is something that we can handle now. So I see it more as I see it more in line with it as an extension of it because of the infrastructure that we've built. Best ever way you like to give back. My father's working very closely with uh, with a group in Oregon that works with veterans and, and does veteran housing. There's a lot of issues with uh, with veterans you know, and housing problems and things like that. And so that is one of the things that we've been working a lot on in that respect. Just personally, I've worked on some Habitat for Humanity houses, which is, is gets me out of the office and actually working with my hands again. So that's something I, I do enjoy. One of my good friends, I'm on the alumni advisory board at Texas Tech with her. She created a nonprofit called Hope for the Brave. And it's about helping veterans who come back from overseas combat to get all the services that they need and one of them's housing so i'll have to introduce you to her yeah yeah absolutely what would you say is the biggest mistake and we might have done an uh, entire case study on this already <laughs> <I> but <laughs> what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate is it that 29 unit i mean it's probably but i think i think it's more of a general mistake of, of like for example we should not have bought anything, not only before we got here, forget that, Just we shouldn't have bought anything in the first couple of months we were here, just spent time, nothing but analyzing the market, learning as much as we could, and uh, and meeting as many people. I think generally the biggest mistake is, is kind of going back to that 20 mile march, or at least a tangent of it, is trying to move too quickly, trying to get out, well, either one of the two, like some people are, you know, paralysis by analysis where they, they'll read book after book after book and go to seminars and they, they never actually get out there and do it, you know, take that that leap in and then on the other side of that is where they're trying once they start to get a taste for it they just want to move so fast whereas really you have a diligent plan like this amount of time to study and then we'll go like have a date set but not try to get out ahead of yourself not be so excited by the prospect of of, oh i'm you know i'm in kansas city now and these properties are so much cheaper let's just buy them all up but have a diligent thoughtful plan that you implement and go and basically take it one step at a time and that goes for everything especially due diligence because due diligence is boring i mean it is probably it's mind-numbing but it's also i would say the most important thing that we do absolutely completely agree what is the best ever place for the listeners to reach you 
The best place to reach me is probably I write a, a blog on Bigger Pockets, and so uh, that would probably be the best place to reach me. I have a uh, if you you can contact me and all the rest there. So just I think just look up my just Andrew Sirius, and then you can find my blog too on their blog, and yeah, or just on our website too, StewardshipProperties.com. You can find me as well. All right, well, Andrew, this has been just a, a, a amazing tale of of two investments, the twenty nine units. And your 32, 32 units? Where's, yes, 32 unit building you just, you closed on. I mean, from the really, really, as, as you're talking about, the due diligence is what set, set them, that in the area, but that's yes. factored into the due diligence and market awareness. In rough areas, you can make money and then you can do well. We're doing well with the property now, but it's something I would really hesitate any, any new investor getting into them. There are areas you need to specialize in. And so they may be cheap and enticing and look good on paper, but often they only look good on paper. Yeah, and I I like how you talk through what you look for as far as kind of the soft things, the atmosphere of the building, the tenant's demeanor. It is critical to walk every single unit, regardless of how many units the community or the building has. Looking at how much trash is around the place, because it was interesting hearing you talk. You keep going back to... Do the residents like living here and kind of what's the culture of the community? And then asking them questions like, you know, do you like living here? Point blank. Does the plumbing work well? Look at the Google reviews and then look carefully at the rent roll. Not only get the operating expenses, but ask for their total expenses because sometimes they might be leaving out certain expenses that they're considering capital and you'll, you'll need to know that as well as looking at the bank statements from the bank to see when the money's coming in, not only if it's coming in, but when is it coming in, because that has implications on bills that you pay every month, namely the mortgage, the taxes and the insurance, if you are paying that in one lump. And then you know, talking about the 32 unit, that is a different approach that you all took based on your due diligence and market familiarity. So very yeah. interesting hearing hearing those two investments uh, comparisons. They say a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. So hopefully, hopefully your listeners cannot not do it the way I, I did and just skip the first step and go right to doing it right. But it just doesn't mean as much, does it? You want to get some dirt on your knees, right? Like you want to get a little dirty. Well, you want to get dirt in the way of like struggling to get a good deal completed and and i mean there's still there's plenty of work to do there there's plenty of grit that's required but preferably skipping the ones where (laughs) you spend three years trying to figure out how to get a property performing before finally achieving that those three years can be spent much more pleasantly (laughs) (laughs) i completely agree well thanks so much for being on the show sharing your advice and uh, having a conversation talk to you soon no my pleasure thank you joe